Hey guys, I'm Alex, and this is Lunchbox Radio, and today we are going to be talking about, this week we're going to be talking about a movie by a really amazing director called Paprika. Now, um, before I get to it, like I said, like the next couple, like I said in the last episode, if you are actually listening to on the day I'm recording this episode, um, I am recording these all in advance because I'm not going to be around. I am going to put them out, but I'm not, but I'm not going to record them like the night before. So they might be a little different. Um, but without further ado, um, before I get into the plot of Paprika, I want to talk a little bit about Satoshi Kon because Satoshi Kon is this like he is one of he is one of the anime directors. So once you're looking for an anime movie. And you've, like, exhausted all of the resources of Studio Ghibli. And I mean both Miyazaki and Takahata. Which can happen pretty quickly if you're, like, watching these things at a good clip. You're like, oh, what what do you got for me next? What do you got for me next? Eventually, you'll bump into a couple different directors. Depending on which um, direction you go, basically. Uh, You'll bump into... Um, the guy, um, the guy who directed Mamoru, you'll bump to Mamoru Oshii, he does, like, sky crawlers and, sky crawl, basically sky crawlers, a weird live action movie called Avalon, which is like a weird cyberpunk nightmare, and the original cyberpunk nightmare in anime world, at least, um, Ghost in the Shell, why did I blank on Ghost in the Shell? Because it's tired and I've loaded myself up with caffeine to be able to record this. But. So you'll bump into Mamoru Oshii. You'll bump into. um, The guy who directed Akira. I feel terrible for not knowing his name. um, Off the top of my head. But you'll bump into him a lot. Um, He did things like Akira. Rojin Z. um, He did. A bunch of stuff for Robot Carnival and um, a thing for Memories, I think. Um, but you'll bump into a bunch of different. You bump and you bump into a bunch of different directors, like also like one who's come to prominence now with movies like Summer Wars, Boy and the Beast. Um, he's got a new movie coming out called like. Mirai to Mirai, which is hilarious. Um, and that's Mam- Mamoru Hosoda. And he does... His next movie doesn't seem like it's super furry-ish. But his last two were definitely like, what if everybody wore fursuits and had tails? Like, what if that was a thing that I was into? Uh, which I always thought was hysterical, because it was, uh, and I personally love Summer Wars, I'll probably do an episode on it, um, later on, but Summer Wars is 
basically, like, what if we took this cool idea from Digimon, extrapolated it out in a kind of weird way, and then we just made another movie that wasn't the Digimon, the first Digimon movie. Um, but it's like that movie's got Mamoru Hosoda's got a lot of style. He's got it's like his his stuff looks just theatrical in a way. It looks like it looks like theatrical anime. Um, and he also directed. Uh, he directed the girl who left through time. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he directed girl who left through time. Once again, why did I blank on that? Um. Boy and the Beast, Summer Wars, um, but you get the idea. It's like he, he's another one you'll run into. You run into Makoto Shinkai. Makoto Shinkai directed Your Name. I did an episode about that two episodes ago. If you're listening to this, um, it, that is this like experience of a movie at that at this point, like. It's like a cultural event, not just in anime, but in just the world, because it's just this beautiful thing that was produced. So, like, you run into all these other directors, you run into all these directors, and inevitably they'll get compared to Miyazaki because everybody's trying to figure out who's it, what who's going to be the next Studio Ghibli and who's going to be the next Miyazaki. And that's usually not fair because, as you've seen, Miyazaki makes his own kinds of movies and he makes them for specific reasons and to drive home specific points. Um, like, Princess Mononoke is uh, basically treat the environment well, the environment will come back and fuck you up one day. <laughs> Um, there's parts of that in Spirited Away, but Spirited Away is basically about, like, growing up and, like, dealing with things in a way, um, and then there's things like, uh, what's it called, um, The Wind Rises, which is about, basically about throwing yourself so hard into your work that you abandon your family. <laughs> what that movie feels like it's majorly about and like you get the idea that maybe Hayao Miyazaki had done that for a long time and he regrets some of it but not enough to stay retired <laughs> because he came out of retirement. Um, But you'll so like People get compared to him. Like I said, that's not really fair. But one director who doesn't get compared to him, at least that I've seen, almost ever. He gets he gets mentioned in the same breath as Miyazaki is Satoshi Kon. Now, part of this is because Satoshi Kon is dead. He died um, of... A kind of cancer. I forget what kind of cancer. Um, but he died. And it was seen as this like massive loss to the anime industry. Because no one kind of 
it's not that Neville wants to make the kinds of things he did, he made or tries to. It's that no one does it with the same feelings behind it. So we've talked about Satoshi Kon property before. We've talked about the only TV show he's ever done, um, it, which is Paranoia Agent. There's an episode on that. I forget what number it is, but you can go listen to that. That show is fascinating on multiple levels and in multiple ways. But the reason why he only made one show is because he has a style that he usually wrangles himself into movies for. Um, some of his other movies, aside from Paprika, are um, Millennium Actress, Tokyo Godfathers, a movie that people consider to be one of the greatest Christmas movies of all times. It is one of the greatest mo- Christmas movies of all times. When I say people, I mean me. I debated doing that for the Christmas episode, which was the last episode for this. But you can go listen. But if you go listen to that, you'll be, you'll hear me do this big lead up, and then say the words "Gundam Wing Endless Waltz." Or as I should have said in that episode, Gundam Wing, Endless Walls, Special Edition. Um, but because I knew that, hey, it's Christmas, everybody under the sun will want to talk about something, li- something like um, Tokyo Godfathers. Why don't I shift over here and talk about this thing instead? Um, what's, so, th- so, Millennium Actress, uh, Tokyo Godfathers, and this movie Perfect Blue, which is a fairly, which is, came out, I believe, in, like, 1995, and it's basically about a Japanese pop idol going through the road of stardom and having a mental breakdown that is aided by having this, like, intensely bizarre, insane stalker. It is one of the most visceral fucking white-knuckle movies I've ever seen, animated or otherwise. It is... It is a psychodramatic masterpiece, I think I would call it. And that actually gets into what Satoshi Kon is really good at. He's good at making these psycho-thriller dramas, essentially. He's good at capturing these, like, feeling of someone's out-of-control mind in a way that uh, other directors... Not that they don't, but that they don't often enough, and when they sometimes, and many times when they try, they miss the mark. Like it, it just they go too far in one direction or another direction. They Satoshi Kon will take it to a point, and then the character just snaps and becomes dysfunctional. Like just can't because. They are human beings. They can't deal with whatever they need to deal with. 
and they just kind of were like shut down somehow. You see that in this movie with a bunch of character with at least one character, most likely two. But you see that in um Paranoid Agent for sure. In Paranoid Agent the uh call girl slash college assistant college professor assistant professor kind of just has a breakdown and because she can't reconcile her two personalities and Toshi Kon's really good at managing that and taking people along for that ride and making them kind of understand what the interior feeling of those of those characters are it's really fascinating um and that's where we get to paprika so paprika is kind of this almost perfect it's by no means a perfect movie it 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 has ways to excuse itself out of narrative problems it has like it has it has built-in excuses in a way that i can appreciate but it is this kind of perfect example of what satoshi Kon is really good at because he dreams up pun intended you'll find out why in a second if you haven't seen paprika um this concept and builds a story around it that feels like it could happen but also allows for all kinds of nutty circumstances and like surrealistic imagery and concepts to take place and let's but in doing that, it allows you to truly learn more about the characters. It gives characters like three dimensions, and it plays, and it plays with those dimensions in really interesting ways. And it does all that while taking itself just seriously enough to ground itself. And encourage you to like come along for the ride it's putting you on. Um, so we open up the movie, and you see this detective, and he's walking up like he's kind of walking up out of the big top of a circus, and he's like, You're like, what's going on here? This is really unique. And this is a really unique situation. And you like you see the circus performers perform. And you see him like talking to people. And then all of a sudden you notice like all these clowns are like, you know, he's moving. Quick, turn the spotlight on. And like, turn the spotlight on. And he's like, oh God. And then all of a sudden, the like, the main stage, they pull a curtain down. And he's, and the detective is in the cage. And he is staring out at himself, pointing at him and saying, get him. And then all these people come out of the crowd who are walking the circuit. They all have his face. And it becomes really clear that, like, he is, he's having a dream. And the, 
eventually he falls through the floor of the of the big top and he lands first becoming like a like Tarzan holding this girl with short cropped red hair now keep that in mind she's like this kind of like short she, she's got short cropped red hair um, in this case, she's wearing, like, a tiger bikini because she's in a dream where she's supposed to be the dandel in, like, the Tarzan story. But usually she's wearing, like, a red shirt and blue jeans and, like, slip-on shoes. Um, but, actually, I think she's wearing Converse. I think that's actually pointed out. But, um, so, she's with him for that. And then all of a sudden, he's standing in a hallway. And he's watching a guy fall from being shot. And he watches the, like, the culprit, quote-unquote, run away. And as he tries to chase after him, the world kind of coils up behind him the way a, like, runner carpet would, like, coil up if it wasn't secured correctly. And he falls through, and he falls through again, and then he wakes up. And you're introduced to the titular character of the movie, Paprika. And you find out that this is a, like, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind scenario. And they have this little, like, fancy headband, almost, that allows people to dive into each other's dreams and, like... So you, using this thing, can dive into somebody else's dreams and kind of guide them based on what you're seeing. And it, it, it's poised as a kind of, it's posed, it proposes a kind of therapy. And then we get to one of the best title sequences I think I've ever seen. It is ultra-imaginative. It, like, it captures exactly what the whole feeling of the movie going forward will be like. So, you see Paprika, Paprika leaves, and she gives him his card, she gives him her card, which, hilariously enough, has this website on it that you can go to, still, I checked it, called radioclub.jp. Um, which is this kind of weird virtual bar slash real bar thing. Um, but it, um, so she leaves and she, she, so she's driving past, so she's driving back to like, you assume her house. And as she drives past this box truck with this, girl with a rocket on it all of a sudden she's on the rocket and she flies away and it takes you through this montage of like amazingly fluid like in and out you it 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 encourages you to lose yourself and question like oh is this real no this is real no this is real it's kind of like one of those um like the hand drawing the other hand, it's it's a itself, um, p- 
picture. I forget the name of that artist, but he's a really famous, like, triptych illusionist. But it the, the movie has that kind of feel. It's like, what if one of those was real? Um, and so, as this thing winds back, as the opening winds back down, all of a sudden, the music... By the way, the music in this movie is stunning. <laughs> it is it, it atmospheric. It is cheery. But it is also, like, it's cheery in a way that is ominous. It's really well done. You can, you can get the soundtrack on um, iTunes. You can also get, you can get it on Apple Music. I have it on Apple Music. It's worth a listen. It's, like, fabulous fun. Um, even to listen to by itself, but as this, as the opening credits wind down, a car passes her car, and then all of a sudden you see Paprika's gone, and there's this way less cheery, very dulled looking, like, like, but beautiful, Woman with black hair. And you realize that this woman has dual personalities. Except one personality exists in the dream world. And Dr. Chiba, I think her name is... Um, her, her name might be Sayo. I think... They mention, they call her Dr. Chiba a bunch of times, but they only mention her first name, I think, once in the entire movie, which is at the very end. Um, but, so doc, Dr. Chiba exists in the real world, and she is a very straight-laced, tolerant, restrained, but assertive kind of assistant lab technician. On the DC Mini. So the DC Mini is the fancy head. It's the fancy dream diving headband. And so. She is. Allowing. She. Paprika is. Treating people with the DC Mini. Chiba's allowing it. Even though it's not necessarily. On the up and up. Because they want. They need a larger test. They basically need a larger test site to see if it can be, um, useful as a therapy device. And so she gets back to the lab, and she goes to the elevator, and she opens the elevator, and there's a guy stuck there. This guy is. Like, as wide as the Americans from Triplets of Belleville. He is big dude. He's got a lot of heft to him. Forget his name, too. Oh, God. At least I remember the two kind of main characters. Um, but he is, he is the lead, like, development scientist and technologist on the DC Mini. He's the guy who invented it. 
Um, and he's stuck in the elevator. So this is, and this is a really interesting scene because there's a really hard cut, the really hard emotional feeling cut from Paprika to Dr. Chiba. And you, up until she, she sees this big dude, her colleague stuck in an elevator, you, she doesn't demonstrate any kind of like wild tendencies. But what she decides to do is she decides to like put her foot against the elevator door to keep it open and just pry him out as hard as she can. She does it and then, um,. She goes up in the elevator, I guess. He gets up somehow. And they realize that who they suspect to be, a terrorist, has stolen. Um, I think it's two of the DC... Has stolen one of the DC minis. A, a couple of them, or I forget. But a bunch of them go missing, essentially. And they think, oh no, it's this one crazy guy. Um, this one kind of sidekick of the main developer who... main de- The main developer is childish to a fault. He is overweight because he can't stop eating. Because he can't stop eating because it gives him so much like childlike joy that he just keeps ordering food. And they have a point in the movie of, like, showing him, like, ordering every, all of column A and all of column B at once, and just all comes out, and he just puts it all into his, into his head, constantly. Um, and it, but it, the, the other characters tolerate him because of his genius, but they all acknowledge the fact, especially one character, um, that they that he that he has serious flaws and that like a lot of the problems in the movie are in many ways because he was too he was too childish so basically what happens is they're like okay we got to go tell the chairman who already doesn't like this idea going to hate it when we tell him so Dr. Chiba and the big and the big guy and the the third kind of head of their little project who is this older shorter guy who is um all go and they go say talk to the chairman the chairman kind of already knows that they're missing they're missing one of the one of the device they're missing at least one of the devices and in the middle of explaining the situation the head of the the head of the DC mini department basically goes banana foster crazy like Full on, he goes full on Looney Tunes and starts rambling about like dissect the livers of the Duck Triad of the Eastern Syndicate. I think it's something he says. Um, this also 
I I watch this on the Blu-ray, which you can get for cheap on Amazon still, I think. Um, but I would recommend watching this dubbed because it I've I've watched it with subtitles and dubbed, and it is very 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 difficult to follow it subtitled because it's a super visual movie and it is its plot is intrinsic on context and things making no sense at certain points it is super interpretive in that way so uh, I would just recommend if you're interested in this movie and you want to go check it out don't put yourself at the handicap of having to read it, if at all possible. Um, but so, the the chief is basically going um, full banana Foster crazy, and he runs out of the office and runs full tilt out of the window at the end of the hallway. You're like, oh great, this guy's dead. He he lives. He falls in a tree. He's okay. He kind of had like a broke both arms situation for a while. Um, but he... But they but they realize, oh, so basically what happened is because there's no limiters on, there's no, like, restraint protocol, um, they call it something like that, on the DC Mini, anybody who's worn it is susceptible to being manipulated by it because all of their data is stored in like the like central mainframe of this thing's operating system. And so they this is and this is they take a look at the chief's dreams and like what's happening to him? Like why did he go hog wild freaking bananas out a window? or down a hall and out a window in the middle of, like, an unassuming, serious conversation about project flaws. Um, And they find, and this is the first time you're introduced to kind of the main not the main plot point, but one of the main the one of the main scenes in the movie, a, a scene that they keep coming back to, and you'll find out, and we'll go over why later. But so they keep you keep coming back to this glorious parade with somebody sitting atop a big throne, supported by tons and tons and tons of dolls. And you, and and they really like, oh, the chief's up there, and Chiba goes in as as Paprika, and Paprika's basically like, won't you please come out? And she tries to seduce, she basically tries to seduce him out of it, um, and eventually gets him out, but only after they find out that the old partner of the big dude was the person who was supposedly the terrorist. 
So after they get him out, they say, like, stay in the hospital because the chairman can't call a vote to, like, get the project shut down unless you're there. So he says, okay, I'll stay here. I got the idea. Makes sense. And they eventually go find the, like, partner who was supposedly a terrorist. Who basically dresses up like the doll he was in the parade dream and jumps off the Ferris wheel and dies. So you're left to, like, stew for a long time in this, like, miasma of dreams and reality for a long, for most of the movie until a couple key things happen. First key thing that happens is the detective gets involved because people start hallucinating like the project chief did and almost kill themselves. Like, strip down their underwear, wrap themselves in extension cords, and go outside talking about how the weather is going to be fluffy animals and rainbow kittens. Um... And, it's not, and if all this sounds confusing, that's because it, it's designed to be. It's, it's like, it, the idea is that because of this thing being let loose on the world, it is taking all the interpretive dream, all the interpretations of dreams and stuff, and mashing them together into something that may make sense, may not make sense. But basically... What ends up happening is you end up finding out that the chairman, the chairman of the lab, has, in a bid to be able to cure himself of whatever has caused him not to be able to walk anymore, for, for whatever reason, um, basically gotten a flunky who for a certain part of the movie was, like, presented as just, like, a suspicious but sternly well-meaning dude who was super foreshadowed as being evil as shit. Um, he has basically taken the DC Mini and he plans on merging the DC Mini, using the DC Mini to merge the real world and the dream world. And like, become the god of both. Um, and, but the way that they come around to Paprika kind of stopping him and what, like, what Paprika is and who uh, Dr. Chiba is, I think her name is Sayo Chiba, um, and how Sayo feels... Um, especially about the big scientist dude, is really interesting. It, they they use they use the extreme imagery and the way that they present extreme, like really extreme, uh, almost disturbingly, de- not even almost, definitely disturbingly extreme situations and images of situations to get the characters to 
be true to themselves, essentially, to really, like, not talk about their feelings, but act on them in a way that would not... That, that that they wouldn't have before and that they would have continued to be lesser than themselves because of not acting on these feelings. So essentially, by the end of the movie, by, when they've like gone through the climax, and if I'm being a little vague, it's because this, this, this movie has so much... I mean, um, I've got the box right here. Let me see if I can find if it's got on it how long it is um but basically this movie is has so much crammed into it and has so many really interesting uses of animation and really interesting uses of story and character and gender and all this stuff that it is it's this kind of masterful, this is how you make a thing chock-a-block of stuff and manage it. But because of the way it's written, it feels difficult to... It feels, it feels difficult to kind of explain, which is not great for a podcast, I admit. But I picked it. I picked my poison. Um, so by the end of the movie, basically, you realize that Chiba loves the, like the big, the big dude, and like she has really deep adoration for him. She has been in love with him for a while, and just has admitted it because she doesn't want to. She she just don't want to admit that she's in love with a giant genius man baby, basically because. It, she has this she has this perfected look to her this look that looks like I put effort into this into the way I look every day to look to like keep the way I look and look beautiful and look put together and look like she looks like she cares what other people see. The guy who... The big scientist guy... Looks like he doesn't. Looks like he is... Focused on... Whatever he thinks is great. Basically think... Um... A... New York City... Um... A New York City female fashion editor versus a Silicon Valley startup founder. And, like, how diametrically opposed those two are. One is, like, very clean, very proper, very considered... Everything they put on kind of matches and everything makes sense because they they have to look a certain way because they want to do a certain job. And the other one is just kind of wearing a loose t-shirt, some jeans, 
maybe some Birkenstocks, maybe a hoodie, just kind of, he he wears what he wants to wear to feel, so he can feel comfortable in it, because he has some attachment to the outfit, and because he wants to be able to do what, because that's not what he worries about. He doesn't worry about the clothes he's wearing. He just wants to make sure that he he knows he has to wear clothes. He wants to wear clothes that are the easiest. It's whatever's in front of him, basically. He'll he'll pick up and put on. Uh, So those are the two kind of like personality types. And it takes a long time to accept like, no, I love this guy. And like, I've cared about him for a long time. I'm worried about him, and in doing that, she kind of accepts, like, oh, paprika isn't just this separate thing I keep to the side, she's part of me, and, like, we should finally become the same person, and by the end of the movie, they really do, um, but, so, it's just, it's a really fascinating thing. It's very, as a, it is a movie that could only, and this is true of lots of Satoshi Kon movies, because he works a lot with really surrealist imagery. It's not that his movies couldn't be, that some of his movies, or, or Paranoia Agent, couldn't be made in live action. They totally could. It's totally possible that they could be made in live action. Especially something like Papri like um, um not Paprika, um Paranoid Agent, which for all of its imagery is actually pretty has its feet pretty firmly on the ground in terms of like visuals. Like you that stuff you could accomplish. Paprika probably not. But because he deal, but because Satoshi Kon deals in super surreal stuff, animation work. He works really well in animation because the sky's the limit, and basically the sky and the budget is the limit. And by Paprika, he had earned the right to like what. Whatever he wanted, they would say yes to. Um, because he makes these like weird, awesome, critically playing, acclaimed things of movies. Um, but if you want to check, if you want to check out Paprika, I I know it's available on Blu-ray because I'm holding the Blu-ray box. I watched the Blu-ray. Uh, it's also available on DVD. You can get it from Amazon. Don't know if it's streaming anywhere. I suspect it's not. I just get the feeling that Paprika isn't streaming anywhere. Actually, it might actually be streaming on Anime Strike on Amazon Prime. So you might want to look there. But actually, I'm almost certain it's there. Um, but if any of what I've said over the past however long has piqued your interest, and I hope it has, go check out Paprika. Um, 
you could, if you if you're looking for something maybe a little bit more edgy, a little bit more like paranoid, you can you could certainly go watch um, Perfect Blue. Perfect Blue will fuck you up something good and make it hard for you to sleep. Um, that's how freaking paranoid it is. Um, but until next time, you have been listening to Lunchbox Late. Oh, and if you've liked this podcast, I should never not say this. If you like this podcast, please uh, go out of your way to share it with your friends. Steal their phones, subscribe to it on their phones, um, share it on social media. Drop by. I had a. I had my first official iTunes review. Drop by on the Apple Podcast app um, and leave me a review. Uh, last review I got was four stars. Um, I hope you guys like this. I'm also on. Google Music and Stitcher. Not on every time I do this podcast. Every time I do an episode, I have to say I'm not on Spotify because I can't figure it out. Because my brain can't wrap around it. And Christmas is in two days, so I don't have time to do that yet. But eventually, I'll figure it out. <laughs> um, but until next time. I am Alex, you have been listening to Lunchbox Radio, and I will talk at you later.